With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a special guest for the first time in weeks, Ben Girding. How's it going, Ben? Going really good. I'm excited to talk about all the commotion that's been going on up here in Boulder. It's great to finally be able to get a chance to talk to somebody and uh, yeah, share my thoughts with the crowd. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about this time, as there has been for days. And there have been so many things that I've been wanting to get to but just haven't had the time because we've been talking about all the other things that are going on, all the other different coaches, the changes. Um, the piece of news that we've gotten today, ESPN is reporting that there's no traction between Eric Bieniemy and the Buffs. So I think it's pretty unlikely at this point that that's the route that things are going to go. We've talked a lot about Bieniemy. Probably don't need to do that again right now. But there is one name that I think is pretty interesting that we haven't talked about. And that is Graham Harrell, uh, who is the offensive coordinator at USC, um, runs an air raid offense. And I think we've talked, I guess, a little bit about him um, and why he would make some sense. But what would you think of bringing in a guy like that, Ben? I think it's an interesting move, and it really breaks apart what Colorado has been doing for some time now. So it would be a, a way to kind of excite the fans and try and bring some energy into the stadium because, you know, let's be honest, the air up here in Boulder, it's not great right now. People are, you know, concern would be a generous way to put it about where this program is going uh, because although Mel Tucker left just one week ago, it seems like years ago, it seems like there's not been a, a lot coming out. So I think by implementing an offense such as the Air Raid, you're giving an excuse to people who may not know the name Graham Harrell. Well, they know what the Air Raid offense is because they've been seeing it up in Washington State. They know how explosive it can be. And that just gives, you know, the fans a chance to think that, you know, every play is going to be boom or bust. And, you know, there's a lot of upside potential with it. Yeah, I think those are some good points. Today was the first day I've been up in Boulder since Mel left. And you can definitely feel it. It's weird. Like, it almost feels like I've been down in a bubble down there. And I've been, like, talking to people up here and hearing about how hard it is for people who think they might be losing their jobs or people who are just Buffs fans and don't want to see all of these things happen to the Buffs. 
but to actually be here it really is just changing the whole mood of the town and it's i don't know honestly a little bit cool to see that it does have that kind of impact but also it's just a strange vibe it it does show the importance that you know colorado football actually does have in this town although they haven't been great for you know some time now people are still invested and i can just you know stay as a, as a student perspective a lot of people are talking about it a lot more people than you would think that would be talking about it as well as you know advisors teachers it's just in the air it's kind of just an eerie feeling yeah because i mean a football coach really is the guy at a university especially one like colorado that is fairly athletics oriented he's the face of everything the football program is the face of the university um and when he leaves especially the way he left and the timing of everything it's uh it's pretty painful um you know let's get back to graham harrell though i think that uh <laughs> i just read a tweet from Silverbuff asking what i'm not telling you guys there's a flight a private flight from great falls to denver Landed three hours ago. Great Falls is in Montana, where I'm from. I don't think there are many uh, Boulder caliber football coaches up there, though. Um, back to Graham Harrell. Back to Graham Harrell. Uh, he he's a guy who's intriguing for a bunch of different reasons. He's young, um, and I think that that's the first thing that jumps out at you. He's only 34, and he has what is that? One, two, three, four, five, five years of. Uh, professional experience on top of playing five years at Texas Tech. Uh, that means that he hasn't been in the coaching game long. Uh, he was the uh, he was a quality control coach at uh, Oklahoma State for a brief stint in 2009, but then he got back into pro football. I think that was actually before he even got his first pro football gig. And then he didn't coach again until 2014-2015 when he was at Washington State. Um, the outside receivers coach at Washington State for two seasons under Mike Leach, who runs the Air Raid, of course. Um, then after that, after only two years of coaching experience, he became the offensive coordinator at North Texas, and the results were great. He was also the quarterback's coach there. Um, he had run the Air Raid offense in college at Texas Tech under Mike Leach as well. That's how he got that gig afterward. And then... Uh, from there, he got offered the job with USC to be their offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, this is he he just finished his first season in that role, and you know he's he's rising through the ranks quickly. He's well regarded. He has football experience. He has a quarterback's brain, um, and he's been learning the air raid for such a long time now that it'd be interesting to see him implement it. You know, one one thing that I think really. Um, gets forgotten in this conversation is that when you're when you're running an air raid offense it isn't nearly as much about letting those guys go out and win their one-on-one matchups get open like you don't need stars you just need decent receivers who know their job and can do their job Colorado has a lot of receivers who are good enough to be on the field but maybe not great enough to be breaking games I could see how this would play to their strengths um Plus, the phrase air raid is just a lot of fun. Ben, what would you grade a, a higher like Graham Harrell's? Well, I think, and as you've touched on over the last couple of podcasts, any higher at this stage in the game is going to be kind of with an asterisk by it because of how you know, behind the eight ball teams are. But I think 
with a hire like Graham Harrell, with investing in an offense like of an air raid, um, you have to be looking at that as as a B grade because of the upside, because you're saying that you know you as a program with Colorado, they're willing to take chances at this stage in the game, and you know not that they have any other choices really than to take a chance at this point, but you know, the air raid gives you so many different opportunities to utilize everybody on your depth chart, especially at receiver, and also although you know with the air raid you're mostly looking at three, four wide receiver sets. That also does leave a lot of looks for your running back on swing passes and in the screen game. And so you look at the running back crop that Colorado also has, it gives them a chance to really show the raw athleticism, which is what they have. They don't have a lot of polished guys, but they have a ton of athletes. And all they need then is a smart distributor who can get them the ball. And you can be looking at some high octane offense. Yeah, I I think that that would all be a lot of fun to watch at the very least. And you see what the air raid can do. You, you look at what Washington State has done for the last few years, been a, a good football program. And the, even this year, when they weren't as strong, they still won some games that they probably shouldn't have won. Um, it's a different brand of football than Colorado was trying to move toward with Mel. And you know, in all of these conversations, we talk about the strengths and weaknesses of different coaches. <sighs> I've been highlighting guys who could keep things going the same direction, but there's definitely some pros that go with trying to change things up too, giving teams different looks, being the one air raid team in the conference that other teams have to game plan against. Um, again, he's he's a young guy. He's an up-and-comer. Uh, he, he, he has good experience running this offense under Mike Leach and then also under Seth Luttrell at, at North Texas. Um, the air raid would be a whole lot of fun at the very least. And I don't know. It's something to keep an eye on. Who else do you, do you have your eye on Ben? Is there anybody else who really stands out to you as a guy you want to see come to Boulder? I think one name that comes to mind when I think about it is one that for some reason I think is an underdog in this case. And it's, it's Darren Shiverini. And here's why. Um, although he's the interim head coach, although he's obviously has his name all over the Colorado football program, I don't think a lot of people are giving him serious consideration. I think he was, you know, given and hired as that interim job because he's an obvious candidate for it. He can kind of keep the ship going um, through this turmoil, but I don't know that anyone actually sees him as the full-time gig. And the reason I think that he could be hired is simply because of his relationship with the players. I know a head coach in Colorado, or not in Colorado, in college football, it's equally as important to have great relationships with players as it is boosters. But the one asset that Colorado has right now, and it's the best asset they've had in a while, is this incoming recruiting class. This is some of the most talent that they've had here in Boulder in a long time. And I think by hiring Chev in that role, it at least buys you some more time. It's not going to be a popular hire because a lot of people will see it as a bridge coach waiting for the next cycle to try and get a bigger name. But in the very least, you kind of right the ship, you calm the waters, you let the players and everybody stay in the system, and at the same time, you try and retain a lot of this coaching staff. This coaching staff has a lot of experience, especially with these players. And so by keeping Chev on for at least this year, you give him an opportunity to show what he's made of, uh, give him a, a step up, a new challenge to go after, but you also can rely on what you already have in place. Not necessarily ride on the coattails of what Mel Tucker left, 
but in a sense, you can take everything that you've already built on and not feel the need to completely rebuild for what would be two years in a row. Yeah, I, I think that, like I've said over and over, all of these guys have question marks. I think one of the more interesting questions here when talking about Darren Cheverini is, say Rick George decides that he is the guy. How do you go about doing that? Do you name him the interim for a full year and say that we're going to be first in on the coaching hunt and that very well could be Darren Cheverini that we choose? Or do you give him a full-time job and say, here's a four-year contract as head coach. It's your team. Hopefully this goes well. If not, then we might cut bait just a little bit sooner. Um, there are so many factors on both sides. You know, you touched on keeping the recruits, keeping the team together. If you tell them that, Chev is only there for one year and then there's going to be a coaching search you're essentially telling them that they're burning a year of eligibility before they're going to get into the system that they're going to see for the rest of their college career they may decide that they want to jump ship early and go somewhere else where they have some sort of stability Um, in terms of recruiting it wouldn't help to have an interim head coach um, because you don't know who you're playing for but at the same time that would leave the door open to being the first team in the coaching hunt at the end of next season. And, you know, it opens the door to retaining Darren Cheverini if things don't go well. Because it's hard to keep a head coach who failed on staff because it's it's like having the leader of a team who failed and is now the number two or the number four in command. It just doesn't, the, the dynamics are just so strange. Um but if things were to go poorly and you're calling him an interim head coach, then you could probably keep him around because he was just doing his job as serving as an interim. You know, what do you think, Ben? What would you do? I think that they have to go all in. Even if it's not in their heads that they actually are going all in, that's what they need to tell everybody. Rick Dortz needs to slap him with a three, four-year deal and say, yeah, he's the guy. Because... The thing with that is you are still not really tying yourself down a whole lot as we've seen within the last month, you know, two weeks. We've seen a lot of movement. We know that a three-year deal doesn't mean he's going to be here all three years. It could be he's only here for six months, in all honesty. So I think the the kind of workaround there is you buy into Chev publicly. You know, you throw a big press conference and and you just you show the world that Chev is our guy. Behind the scenes, you have a you have him on a very tight leash. You see what happens with this year, and then at the end of you know at the end of the next season, you reevaluate and you continue to reevaluate reevaluate. Not necessarily on whether or not they have a winning or losing record, but if you see that improvement, uh, both you know from the team, maybe from start to finish of the year, but also Chev uh, with his character, his interactions with not only the the players but the fans, the media, the boosters, all of that. I totally understand why someone wouldn't want to buy in because of what Chev brings to the table, but I see the situation as Colorado's hand is forced. I think they would have loved to keep Chev in an offensive assistant role, focus on the recruiting until they think that he is um, ready to take that next step. And I think Colorado might have felt that that would have been what would have happened if Mel was there for three or four years. The problem is, is when he jumps ship, especially when he does, all bets are off because there's no real right way to do this, and they're not going to know for years if they made the right choice. So I, I think all they have to do at this point is buy in and just see where it goes. Yeah, and you you look at the kids and say, we, we want to keep these kids around. We want to keep these kids on the team. But 
if you get a new head coach, you bring somebody new in, then maybe you lose some players this year. But by next this time next year, he's building his own recruiting class. He's he's retaining those players that stuck around. All these sorts of things. And if you're really looking at these 34 year old guys, these 40 year old guys, you're kind of planning not just for 2020 or 2021, but hopefully hoping that they're going to be around in 2026, 2027. And at that point, you have this depth. And you've been able to use your depth to compete for a Pac-12 title. And because of that, it boosts your recruiting and you can kick it up another level and another level. And it's certainly a step back to lose a bunch of players before a coach's first season. But in the long run, maybe that's just what it takes to build a football program at this point. There are so many ways that you can think about this. Um, What would you think of keeping Darren Cheverini, but making him the offensive coordinator again? I think it, I, first of all, it does depend on who they get. Um, if they go after somebody like Graham Harrell, obviously he's going to bring in his own staff. And I don't know where Chev fits in in that situation. If he wants to, again, just remain an offensive assistant and move back to recruiting, um, that'd be where he goes. Now, if they do hire a defensive-minded coach, which at this point, I think... I mean, I guess it could go either way, but I, I feel like as a defensive-minded coach, that might be where they initially were leaning. I could see where the value in bringing Chev in as the offensive coordinator is for a couple of reasons. Number one, with Jay Johnson gone, he still is the next man up that would assume that role that can continue leading the scheme that you already had. And the benefit there, obviously, is you recruited all these guys to play in that scheme. So you can kind of, again, calm down the waters, as I said before, and try and make sure that the offense still is humming, at least to the degree that you know these players fit that scheme. So I think it would be a good move, but I think it all depends on who they can inevitably hire as the head guy. I think the only way we're going to see, you know, with not just Chev, but everybody else on this staff, is we need to wait and see who they're going to bring in to see what holes they fit. And that's what the... You know, frustrating part of this process is it's not just that they're been quiet about it. It's that, you know, all anyone can do is wait and see. And from a coaching perspective, from a fan perspective, it's just creating so much anxiety just to wait and see what ends up happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's where we all are. And it kind of just hit me today. Again, coming up to Boulder, um, all of a sudden you're starting to hear that some names are getting checked off of the list. And that's kind of whittling down and you start to see maybe Bielema turns out to be the guy. Um, And you don't necessarily fall in love with any of the guys who it seems like it could be at this point based on the rumors that are coming out. Um, And I think that's another factor. You know, we, we, we talk about building for the future or letting Chev patch things up and see if he's the guy and see if he can continue what's, been started by Mel Tucker there might not be an option to bring in somebody who will be that reset and will be the guy that 2026 2027 is leading this team to a national title conversation at least I don't know it's a tough spot there will be more news coming I'm sure um, in the next couple of days and I would still guess that there's a coach in place by Saturday at the latest. I think that if if I'm Rick George, ideally I have a coach picked out by Wednesday night 
you have the introductory press conference Thursday morning, and then you parade them around the CU Event Center during the USC game Thursday night. I think that's still the ideal timeline. Maybe you have to push that back a couple of days because you don't have anybody figured out yet, but boy, would it be nice to just be able to show them off in front of an arena full of people. Okay, um, tonight, I would love to drink a couple of Breckenridge beers, and I'm sure you would too, Ben, huh? Yes. Because you're <laughs> of age. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think that if I were to pick a Breckenridge beer right now, I think I'd go with the Vanilla Porter Jr. And I haven't said that one in a while, but it just feels like a nice, thick almost milkshakey type beer, something that I could drink and just like maybe sleep too. I think I could drink a couple of those and fall asleep. I'm not really feeling like a strawberry sky avalanche. just like, go, go, go. It's more of like a, this will, this will help me enjoy my last 15 minutes awake type of beer. Yeah. I've got, the only thing I've got on me is, is strawberry skies in the fridge. And it's a shame for a time like this because you know, as soon as we're done recording, I got some bachelor to catch up on and vanilla mm. Porter is exactly what would, you know, help set that mood. Right. Uh, it's too bad you didn't watch that. Otherwise we could have turned this whole episode into a bachelor podcast. Give the listeners what they want. We don't care about a head coach. We don't care about basketball, anything like that. We need mm. to dive into this final four yep. of the bachelor. We all deserve a break. I, I told Ben earlier that that's like the one break for me. That's non-negotiable. I love watching the avalanche. I love watching the nuggets, but there's a lot of work to be done these days, and I've just had to cut that mostly out. The Bachelor, though, that is my two hours every Monday where unless my phone is ringing, I'm sitting on the couch. I might be like working on something on the side, but I'm tuned into that. I, you you should have watched it. I know. I made You're it, in for a treat, by the way. I made a critical error uh, just a, a, a couple months ago. I signed up for intramural basketball Monday nights, oh. not thinking of the prime bachelor time. And so now all I have to do is sit there, stay off of Twitter for 24 hours because that's all that's ever trending on me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's tough to not watch it right away because there are so many spoilers. Ugh. It's, I don't know. Is your basketball team good? No, we are 0 and 4. Wow. So I, um, I thought it would be fun to, to take a ragtag group, see if I could make a comeback. So ragtag. Uh, See, ragtag should never be the goal. Yeah, that should well, be what sometimes well, happens. Well, I was on hoping accident. I could flip ragtag into a, a championship because obviously, if you Tag win intramural, well. you get a nice shirt, and that's obviously the goal. Oh, so, I I know. I have plenty of those shirts. <laughs> well, we only have seven players on the team, and none of them ever played basketball before, other than me. So, oh wow. So, so you're like the anchor. Yeah. You guys should meet Ben. You would not. <laughs> yeah. You would not put money on that basketball I, team. I did average double digit scoring all season. Oh wow. So. I don't want to brag or anything. Who now, keeps the stats? I do in my head. I thought so. Yeah, we, that sounds we, right. <laughs> we're always losing by so much that it's easy to keep track of because there's nothing else to focus on. I tally uh, them up every time we foul. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's a great setup, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's Breckenridge Brewery. You should uh, definitely use their beer locator to locate their beers near you. If you need some Strawberry Sky, you can just come over to Ben's place. Um Anything else, you're probably going to have to go to like a grocery store or Total Bev or something like that. Um, also, want to tell you about Bojo's Pizza. Ben, have you ever had Bojo's Pizza? I haven't, and it is know, actually killing me. <laughs> I know. Really? Yeah. And it's even worse because everybody always always talking about, like in the group chat from work, like, oh, Allie couldn't eat the cheese on the pizza, and she had to get her own little pizza with like pineapples and pepperoni or something like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, I want to go make fun of Allie, but I can't relate because I still haven't gone. 
Maybe next time we do this, we'll have to go over to a Bojo's because I know that there are some here in Boulder. You down? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's ideal. I think it'd be a great spot because obviously, you know, you got Breck Brews on tap for you. Uh, the cheese bread sounds great for me. It'll be You can drink a time. strawberry sky yeah. before you go. <laughs> um, exactly. Yes, it's the one place that you can get a true Colorado mountain pie. I botched that. And uh, it's locally owned. All these great things I always say about it. Six locations in Colorado. And if you mention DNVR, you can get a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree at all locations. The subscription pretty much pays for itself there if you go just enough. I know, and we should be. We should be going enough. Uh, They put honey in the dough of the crust, too. It's not just in the honey cheese bread. Honey cheese bread sounds incredible, though. Yeah, isn't the the honey in the crust is a true Colorado thing, right? Because I've never had pizza with honey in the crust. I think that's what makes it a true Colorado mountain pie. (laughs) I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel behind the eight ball. I know that Ryan has lived here for forever, and he always puts honey on things. And, and I thought that was so cool. I was like, wow, what a great idea. Like, you're eating something, throw some honey on it. And so when I moved off of Ryan's couch this summer and onto my own, well, actually, I didn't have a bed, so onto my own couch. But um, I bought my own big thing of honey, and I was like, okay, let's check this out. I, I've used it, like, twice. And really? It was, yeah, I haven't used it all. Like, there's just this big sticky thing of honey in my... See, I try not to uh, listen to the Broncos guys' food advice because that's about half of their uh, podcasts. And yeah. Somebody recommended strawberry mac and cheese. I tried it last <laughs> night. <laughs> it wasn't uh, bad, but definitely wasn't anything to write home about. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it, it's, it changes up your life a little bit. Yeah, I would guess. Okay, um, back to sports, but not to football anymore. Um, I think we'll get back into football with the comments, but... Uh, Let's talk about something fun like basketball. Um, if you guys have been paying attention, you guys know that Ben has been working hard on basketball stuff, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it in a while. It's been since the Oregon route in uh, in Boulder. It was the last time we it's were been able to crazy. Chat. It's been crazy. What's changed about your opinion of the team since then? Cautious optimism was what I came into the season with. Uh, I really wanted to see them prove that they can win in all different types of environments. And honestly, at this point, it's gone from cautious optimism to just excitement for tournament time. Yep. They've shown in a variety of different ways what they can do. Um, I think you've pointed out that every time they lose, they bounce back in conference play, which is something that's so tough to do. They've shown that the narrative that you know Tad Boyle teams can't win on the road, that can no longer be talked about. He's gone in. He's been Arizona State twice, one at a neutral court, you know, on the road. He's beaten USC. He's done, you know, Dayton in uh, in Chicago back in December. They've done so much. They've done a variety of different things, both winning and, you know, on the court with their offensive and defensive efficiency that has put their resume in a better spot than I think anybody would have imagined coming into the season. Yeah. Uh, again, if, if you were to go back before the season and say that the Buffs are where they are right now, you would have been happy. And, and I think that that's true of pretty much all of us. I don't think there was anybody who thought that they'd be better than, what, 9-4 and four right now? No. There's no, there's no way. Yeah, exactly. So 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 it's it's just such a good position for them to be in. They played well in non-conference play. You, you see how well they play and think that there were games that they could get back, but that's college basketball. Right. That's the way college basketball works. And we've seen them, like you said, succeed in so many different environments, succeed against so many different teams. Again, just like you, I don't know. I feel like there's like a narrative to the season in college basketball, maybe more than other sports. You know, football, it's it's kind of a rush. It's like 
three months, really. Just game every weekend, game, 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 and then whatever happens, happens. With college basketball, when you're playing 30 games, and it is extended from October through, I mean, ideally April, there's like this shape to everything where we're talking about, oh, can they do it? How are they going to block out the noise? And then they go to a tournament, and they struggle giving up offensive rebounds. You're like, oh, no. Is that going to be a thing? And then you follow that for a bit. And then you follow the turnovers for a bit because the turnovers. And and now I feel like we've just run through everything there is to run through in terms of those storylines. And it's just time to get to the tournaments. Yeah, the important thing just moving forward is making sure they really don't drop off a cliff, which I don't think anyone is projecting. But the thing about college basketball that's so important is it's really just about what team gets hot. It doesn't matter if you go in as the one seed or the 16 seed, really. It's more so about what you've done within the last month than the season as a whole. Because you see teams on the bubble that sneak in because they finally figured it out. They finally started to click. Now, with Colorado, they're projecting between a three seed and a five seed. I think that's a great spot for them to be in. Now, obviously, the difference between a three seed and a five seed is pretty big. It is. But I think right around that area is right where you want to be. I think if they are able to get in between four and five, uh, because obviously then you have an easier first round opponent and then to get to the sweet 16 you would just ideally have to beat that four or five team and so that's a pretty good spot to be in they just need to make sure that they they stay on top of it everybody was scared after the Oregon loss on Thursday I know we as well as RK when he jumped on the podcast last week I feel like we were some of the only people that were saying they're not supposed to win they are not going to win this (laughs) basketball game no one (laughs) thought that they were going to go into Eugene and come away with a victory and that's why in the beginning of the game it was like what are we watching because a 20-0 run is like on the road that's unheard of yeah and so while it would have been great to have that win it i mean as you see in the rankings they only dropped two spots in the ap poll but as we're really starting to get to tournament time i think it's important for you know the listeners and everybody out there to understand that while it's great to have that number by your name that's not the one that matters it's their net ranking because that um you know for those of you who don't know net ranking is what the ncaa selection committee looks at that's the number that matters most when it comes to picking your seed. And although they're 18th in the country in the AP poll, they're number 11 in net rankings. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's the big note right there. That's it's just so massive being number 11 with the potential to move up. You know, they're going to play USC, a good team at home. They should win that game in the same way that we were saying Colorado should not beat Oregon. They definitely should be beating USC. And they really, really should be beating UCLA on Saturday. That's just the situation they're in. From there, when you're going into those last three games all on the road, that's your opportunity to make some noise. You know, you end the season at Utah, feel pretty good about that game. Absolutely. It's that other road trip that is going to be... It's going to be scary. I think the the realistic expectation for the end of the season is about 4-1. and one. Three and two, if things go poor, I think three and two you'd be disappointed in. Yep. Four and one is what you expect. Five and zero, oh, you're over the moon because that's you're a one seed in the Pac-12 tournament. And if you win one game, even if you don't win one game, I think you're looking at a three seed come yep. March in the NCAA tournament. So yep. that's what's important. They need to get out of this weekend desperately two and zero oh, because they have to take advantage of the, uh, the their last homestead of the season. But this, I think, is the most pivotal weekend in Pac-12 conference play, not only because of what's going down in Boulder with the L.A. schools coming here, it's because the Oregon schools are traveling to Arizona. And that's going to be huge because both of the Arizona schools are hot right now. They really are. And, and 
You know, it's it's easy to look at the games that Colorado has left and say only two at home, three on the road. They're in a tough spot when they're tied with Oregon. But again, it's about who you're playing as well. And, you know, Pac-12 really is a home court conference. The home court team wins. I think Bill Walton made that point during that Oregon game. He made a coherent point? I, do you, are you not a big Bill Walton guy? You know, I started out as a big, I, I started out as indifferent, and then, you know, you make the point that when you're losing, he makes the game better to watch. I feel like when we're losing, it's just obnoxious because then it's like, well, no, I don't want to listen to this guy talking about it. I think it's interesting when he makes the the noises on national television, but at the same time, I I I think his basketball points are are pretty good, and I wish he'd stick to those a little bit more. I think that that's fair, and. I don't know. What what I really like, he goes on the tangents, but but so many of those tangents are basketball related. Yeah. And I think that that part gets underrated. Sure, he'll talk about like how great it is to bike in Boulder and all that kind of stuff, which, I mean, also a good point. Something that people should know when watching a game that Colorado's playing in. It's a fun place to ride your bike. But also... Uh, especially that broadcast with Mark Jackson, where it's just the two of them just like <laughs> yeah. going down like who was the, third the guy history. Who Dave Pash, <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, but also, uh, well, I, that's I, his role. I, like I his role is to get beat up. Mark Jackson playing <laughs> into Bill so Walton good. as much as he it did. was so good. Uh, but yeah, like they're talking about just like random players from way back in the seventies. <laughs> it's like ah, uh, like I couldn't quite see Peyton Manning. Honestly, I could kind of see Peyton Manning being a Bill Walton someday. Like, he, he studies the game, like, Tony Romo is a great commentator, but he studies the game in terms of, like, like it's like a chess game, and so he wants to know all these things. He wants to read defenses, he does that. And, like, obviously Peyton has that, too. But what makes Peyton so special is that he's into the game as, like, a, a fan, as, like, a historian. Like, he likes to look back and look at how things have changed and talk about the players, and he can name... Who, whoever were the top three passers in 1973 and all that kind of stuff. The same way Bill Walton does. And, you know, Bill has like, he's he's like obviously like super eccentric, probably on drugs the entire time, <laughs> yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And who knows if Peyton ever gets there, but with Peyton's sense of humor, you, 20 years from now, I could see Peyton just kind of letting loose a little bit and just going down like the past, <laughs> talking about random football history yeah i i think bill walton's at the point in his life where he knows he's done so many things for his resume that now it's time to just you know kick back and enjoy himself and you know maybe that's why he enjoys coming to boulder so much it's a it's a lively recreational town for for stuff like that it very much is also so last year obviously i was in montana covering montana basketball montana went on the road to play arizona and bill walton called the game really that just like shut down the entire city. Everybody was like, oh my goodness, did you hear what Bill Walton was saying? Like, I got more likes tweeting out Bill Walton quotes about Missoula than I had ever... And again, like, Missoula kind of like the boulder of Montana. Not quite as much money, not quite as much hippies. It's like a little bit down there. It's also not quite as big, but it has like kind of that same... No offense to any of you. You're not all hippies. <laughs> but, like, but yeah, like, that's how it is. And, and again, like, he's talking about like riding his bike through Missoula and like the Clark Fork River and the mountains and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, this is, look, Bill Walton cares about us. And Bill Walton's tangents have made us go on our own tangent. <laughs> exactly. That's just what his place is in the world, I exactly. guess. Exactly. Ah, love that guy. Um, How about that all-access broadcast? It was incredible. It yeah. was, I hope that that is where sports are going moving forward because, you know, the no commercials, diving into the coaches' huddles, I mean, you know, and, the, and the commentary only when it needed to be there is, I think, what everybody wants out of a sports broadcast. Yep. 
know, I think there's times where, well, I think basketball in particular is where it would make its biggest mark because I do think there's value in having football announcers, especially like with Tony Romo, somebody like that calling the games. But with basketball, especially for maybe a casual um, observer, it really gives you an inside look into what that's like, is able to, you know, let viewers see what the life of a not only college athlete, but a college basketball athlete, because it's a lot different than football. It really is. And I mean, Tad Boyle obviously shined, but we, we've we never seen anything like it. Like, that was the first time a Pac-12 game has been broadcast like that one was. Um, if you guys didn't see, essentially they had the coaches mic'd up the entire game. They had um, a camera on them the entire game, too. And so you saw their faces on the sideline, heard what they were saying the entire time. It was incredible. They kept it going into the locker room during halftime. They kept it going. There were no timeouts. Um, well, I mean, there were timeouts in the game, but we saw the huddles. There were no commercial breaks. It was it was really cool. And I think what's really held held broadcasters back from doing something like this is that you really do have to buy in. Like you, they get the coaches mic'd up, but it's it's also that if they say something interesting, then they can cut back to it. And you see a lot of that. I, I guess the XFL does a lot of it live, but when they mic people up, that's how it works. You don't hear them the entire time. That's when there's a good part, they have to throw you back to it. And that just takes so much production. And you can't just keep somebody mic'd and then just randomly have them or randomly not because you don't know when they're going to say anything interesting. So to do something like this and just say, you know what? We're not going to like come out of a commercial break and say, here's what Tad Boyle said in the huddle. Let's just show you this entire thing through his eyes. And it was so cool to see. Yeah, I hope that, you know, if that keeps moving forward, I honestly hope that they have some sort of age verification in place. I think I saw someone on Twitter talking about it, and I, I don't remember who, so yeah. I apologize for stealing your idea here. But to honestly hear the full banter, no holds bar from the coaches, I think would add another dimension to the game. And especially if you, you know, force that age verification, I think you could get a lot of people to buy in. Yeah, and also it's like 2020 and people say the F word. Yeah. Like, I guess, are we mostly past that? Maybe not all the way past that, but I don't know. I I think in the near future, we could see some shift there. Um, But yeah, it was so cool. And again, Tad was just incredible. He was so involved in everything, especially when you see Wayne Tinkle, a a guy from Montana. um, Represent. Big Montana ties. Yep. Went to Oregon State when he ditched the Grizzlies. We were all bitter. Took his son (laughs) Trace with him. But, uh, yeah, like to see Tinkle kind of sit back and let his players play for the first 10 minutes, whereas Tad is up on his feet. He's talking to the refs. He's calling them by name. He's saying, you know, it's it's tough for us when you guys are changing how you blow the whistle game to game and from crew to crew. Like we need some sort of consistency. And you hear him make those points and you also hear him say, what was that? And and then just freak out and you can't, I, I'm not going to say all the words that he said but but he gets super upset too and to see how that relationship worked through the entire game that was really interesting to me seeing how he engaged guys in the huddle seeing how he coached guys when they're out on the floor it's not just call a play and make them run it it's cut pick all this kind of stuff like telling them what to do almost like he's totally in control and you know we all know that coaches are very influential on how a game plays out but we rarely get to see just exactly how they're doing what they're doing. And and that's what we finally got to see in that broadcast. It was a big Tad Boyle week. He, Seriously. He not only got a lot of you know positive looks after all of the, the Mel Tucker instances, but also you know his ability to pivot away from all the drama and really 
you know, be in the spotlight, bouncing back from a tough Oregon loss when, you know, if you just look in a, in a chasm at just the Buffs basketball Twitters, the differences in the replies between wins and losses is incredible. Seriously. And you look at it's, after it's the, ugly. Yeah, and you look at after the Oregon loss, it's like, oh, you know, here we go again. This team can't win big games. And then you go to the Oregon State loss, and everyone's like, yeah, woohoo, yep. let's go Buffs. And it's yep. like, whoa, 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 where's the consistency here? And I think that that's a, you know, a lot more of the casual fans, which is totally fine, but it's important to understand what winning games on the road in college basketball is like. But also then on Saturday to see how Tad Boyle interacts with the fans and honestly giving Buffs fans a voice, you know, talking to the refs the way that we've all been wanting to talk to this entire season, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the inaccuracy and the instability amongst the refereeing yeah. calls, he's been able to, you know, make that voice heard and he's kind of taken the embodiment of integrity to a whole new level. Yeah, he, he was so impressive. And I mean, I think at this point, there's no arguing that Tad Boyle is a good basketball coach. Like we just saw what a good basketball coach is, you know, whether you have gripes about his recruiting and whether you think he should be going after more five stars, guys who are one and done types and maybe like build around them with guys like McKinley Wright, who can stick around for a while or Evan Batty, who'll stick around for a while. Those are all different coaching philosophies. You can have those. But in terms of being a basketball coach, Tad Boyle is a great basketball coach. Uh, he's just so in control of everything there. Yeah, the recruiting and all that stuff, it's a totally different conversation because, again, like you said, that's just the variations in the styles of you know what a coach wants to do with this program. I agree. You cannot question his understanding and knowledge of the game of basketball as well as his methods do work. I understand that, you know, the last two years have been disappointing. And, you know, the narrative going into the season was the same one as this year. It's like, oh, this is the year. This is the year. Well, we're finally seeing that. We're seeing his philosophies come to fruition. And if he can start to build this again on a consistent basis of the type of players he wants to have, you will see the chemistry on the court that, you know, is on display right now and on display in Boulder for the last two times this week. Um, you hope that this is not the last two times that McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay suit up at home, but I guess that's a separate discussion as well. Yeah, yeah. And and he actually talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said it's hard to bring in multiple classes back-to-back like this one with McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay and Evan Batty because when you're recruiting guys, they want to play, and they see that this was the freshman class when they're going on their recruiting trips and say, huh, I'm kind of blocked. And that's why it's so hard to bring in back-to-back classes, back-to-back-to-back and string them together. And you have to be really strategic about making it look like there's holes to fill for these young guys and actually, you know, giving them opportunities to play. But he's done a great job. And and I think we're starting to see, again, this is the best product he's ever put out on the court. And if he can find a way to continue to build off of it, that would be incredible. It is just so nice to know that he's here for the long haul. We finally can say we've got one. Well, not finally, but everyone's comfortable saying we have a coach committed. And if anything, that buys him brownie points. Yep. And if you were to eat a brownie, you should probably brush your teeth after. That was incredible. That was terrible. (laughs) Um, Green Mountain Dental Group is the place to go. And if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's a steal. Um, Sonicare is incredible. It's an electric toothbrush. If you're like me and struggle to brush well, 
you kind of like days off and you're just like, eh, like looking at Twitter while you're brushing your teeth and all of a sudden like your little circles aren't going as fast. Then, you know, Sonicare may be for you. It's probably for me. I need to get out there. Um, when's the last time you went to the uh, dentist, Ben? Uh, December. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's that actually a great answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Normally they say about you know, once every six months. I don't yeah. Know my mom just made that up, but no, that's what, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't think many people actually do it, but it's what you're definitely supposed to do. I well, hope most people don't. Well, do remember it. I'm from Ohio. What else am I going to do when I'm home on break? Very true. <laughs> Very like, true. Okay. Get looking your mom around, to pay yeah, for you to look, clean your looking teeth around the room. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'll go to the dentist today. Yeah. I have a bad habit of just buying the professional quality crest white strips and, <laughs> and, and saying, huh, this might do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, it's probably about time for me to go to a dentist. And Ben, where do you think I'm going? I would, if I had to put money on it, I'd say Green Mountain Dental Group. I think that that's probably where I'm going to have to go because I'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush at Green Mountain Dental Group if I schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Again, it's just a steal. Okay, we do have one comment before we get out of here. And it comes in, oh, see, this is what always happens is I have it loaded and then I go to the read and then I pick my phone back up and all of a sudden I'm back to the home page in this app. I should probably just start pulling them up on my computer, but that's not what happened. Okay. The comment comes in from B-Mixer who says, Belima, Belima, should hire you for an agent. From what I heard from Arkansas fans, he has, he was good in the run game, but if he had to throw a pass, it was impossible. McIlwain is now the bottom for me. How much do you think Rick George will offer this coach? And do you think the assistant pool will be increased? Okay, let's run through the top. Bielema should hire me as his agent. Yes, he should, because I would make so much more money than I do now. Uh, second, from what I heard from Arkansas fans. Oh, so yeah, that's been a weird complaint about Bielema. And, you know, you look at the stats and he has struggled passing the ball, but he's a defensive guy. Like, you'd think that it'd be his offensive coordinator running all of that. Like, why Bielema gets blamed for having a bad passing game? Like, sure, you have to bring in the guy, you have to you establish the philosophy, say, we're running, we're throwing, we're whatever, this is what we try to do. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts there? I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if Bielema's the guy, I would put down money that Shev, or Shev will be the offensive coordinator, and you are going to see a striking similarity between what happened at Arkansas. You're going to see some tight, low-scoring games, and that's mm-hmm. not going to get people excited. But again, let's reiterate, it's February. It is February 18th. The options are slim, and when you're analyzing who's out there, he, is the, he has to be one of the safest options. That is also a realistic look for Rick George because I think about the position he's in. He wants to make sure that he gets a guy that can bring stability to the program, but also he does not want someone who's going to you know, flame out in a year. Yep, and you know what? Arkansas didn't go great. It wasn't horrible either. Three bowl games in five years. If that happened in Colorado, nobody would complain. Well, that's not true. People would complain, but they'd be the same people who always complain. Um, Also, he went to three consecutive Rose Bowls to end his stint at Wisconsin. The last one, he was four and four in conference, and other teams were like banned from being able to go. But that means he beat teams that were doing things that got them banned to get to the first two Rose Bowls. So those are worth even more. They were taking a a, a cheater's way. They were taking a shortcut and Bielema still found a way to, you know, make it there just because there's an asterisk doesn't mean that the word in front of it still doesn't exist. Exactly. And that word is Rose Bowl, which is two words. Uh, How much do you think Rick George will offer this coach? And do you think the assistant pool will be increased? The offer is interesting. And I think it really depends. Chev, honestly, you don't got to give a lot of money to. 
you could make him, uh, I mean, I don't want to say a, a, a super conservative offer, but you're definitely not backing up the Brinks truck for him. I think uh, he would definitely be in the low tier of Pac-12 coaches, much lower than I think Mel was because Chev is willing to take the hometown discount. Yep, definitely. And then if you look at uh, um, a guy like, let's say they actually do pull Justin Wilcox, he's making over $3 million this year. You're going to have to beat that. How much you have to beat it by, that's all in question. You know, there are rumors that Cal's going to have to make cuts to the athletic department because of a whole bunch of things that are going wrong there. And that, you know, maybe they don't want to be spending this much money, even if it does mean a good football program, whatever. There's there's a decent chance that he actually may want to get out of Cal. He might want to bring this defense to a team that that, you know, has more talent on it. But again, I don't think he's going to leave for less money. Yeah, it would take a competitive offer for sure, but you do have a bit of negotiating power there because it's not just, you know, buying into Colorado's a more prestigious program than Cal moving forward, but I mean, the defensive line alone is has to be better than what he's been working with um over at Cal. So I think that although you do still need to give him a competitive offer and I guarantee that does mean a pay raise, you don't have to pretend like you have no competitive advantage. Uh, you know, whereas if you're trying to recruit a bigger name guy, you are really having to sell your program. Yep. And uh, Oregon State's head coach, Jonathan Smith, made $1.9 million last year. He was the lowest paid Pac-12 coach. I think Chev probably makes less money than that this year. Maybe not a lot less, but I do think it'd be in that $1.7 million range. Right, and that's also a reasonable offer for a guy who's not been coaching for super, super long, and he also doesn't have the prestigious experience like a younger coach has. Even you look at Graham Harrow, who's only 34 years old, but I think he brings more to the table as far as experience-wise. And so for a hire like him, he would be commanding, you know, not a lot of money, but he'd still be making more than I think you would have to pay Shev. Yep. Yep. Um, meanwhile, just just looking through the salaries of the Pac-12 coaches last year, number one, Chris Peterson made 4.6. Obviously, he isn't the head coach there now, so that probably drops off, although he is still in like whatever role there. David Shaw, also 4.6 at Stanford. Kyle Whittingham at Utah made $4 million. Mike Leach is gone now but made $3.75 million. Chip Kelly made $3.5 million. Clay Helton made three point two. million. Wilcox was just under $3 million last year. And Cristobal at Oregon was making two point six. So when you look at it, it may be that $3 million range, especially if they get a guy they like, and, and that really is the factor here. In terms of the assistant pool, I think it will be increased for sure. Uh, they have some money. They get $3 million for Mel's buyout. Uh, with Cap and uh, the offensive coordinator Jay Johnson leaving, you're up to, I think that's another $125,000 in buyout money that you got. I would assume that since the assistant coach pool was, you know, a, a sticking point between Mel Tucker and Rick George, that the boosters probably are willing to give a little bit more money and patch that up a little bit. Um it all depends, though. It depends on how much money you have to pay for a buyout, how much you have to pay for a head coach. Um, but we'll see how it all plays out. And I think it's kind of interesting, too, looking at all these salaries that, you know, Mel was actually pretty low on this list because he was only making... Uh, 2.4. 2.4. And so if you have to, you know, hire someone with the expectation of paying him around $3 million, I think that 
you know, that sets the bar kind of high as far as, you know, what those expectations have to be. Because, you know, Mel Tucker, it's it's easy to want to root against him now, but everybody here just, you know, two weeks ago had a lot of faith in where this program was going. So offering him or offering this new coach more than Mel was going to make, uh, you know, it, it makes you question whether or not they could have just given Mel a little more in the first place. But, you know, again, that's a sunk cost. We're past that now. I think the most important thing at this point is they need to get somebody in the building, like we talked about, within the end of this week, because they need to start retaining some of this existing coaching staff to try and, you know, all it is is damage control at this point, and they need to you know, make sure that, yes, they get the right guy, but also they need to make sure that uh, they're on top of it so they can keep this train rolling. All right. It was good having you on today, Ben. It was awesome. It was great to you know talk about this, get some thoughts off my chest. Yeah. Looking forward to moving moving ahead. We and, all need that. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, coming up in the NCAA tournament. We got some good stuff in store, and you know hopefully I can jump on here a couple more times before then as well. I think we will. I think we'll have to make that happen. All right. If you guys have any questions or comments, leave them in the comment section of the post for today's podcast at thednvr.com. We'll get to those tomorrow. And uh, also, if you like the show, Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you go because we really appreciate those and that's what helps recruit more Buffs listeners and make our family bigger. All right, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Way.
like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in that play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in that go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag.